0: Well, good morning, church. How we doing? That's okay. It's okay to, it's okay to yell. Pastor's not here. It's okay. You can get a little more excited. I'm excited. I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord with the family of God. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and find 1 Samuel Chapter 16, we're going to pick up where Pastor Jonathan left off last week in verse 13 this morning. Last week he started off this new series through the life of David that's going to take us through the fall as we understand what it means for us to chase the heart of God, to have a heart for Him, to let Him have our hearts. Last week we learned how God takes what we think is insignificant and makes it prominent according to His definition. If you remember last week, God directed Samuel the prophet to anoint David as king because God saw what men could not see. And that's what the passage actually tells us here in 1 Samuel 16. God saw to the heart because the men around, the people, the leaders could not see into the heart. They looked on the outward appearance. And we saw that last week. And I I gotta be honest with you that every single day of my life, I am more concerned about my heart being his than about what is presented to everyone else around me and whether they approve. And that's a struggle for me. I don't know if that's a struggle for you. It is a struggle for me. It's a struggle for me to think about the importance of what is on the inside over what is observed on the outside. Now I know some of us in here would probably say, oh, I don't, Dr. Temple, I don't have that, that problem. Well, you, by saying that, you probably do because you didn't want to confess with your mouth that you had that problem. I know that I struggle with that on a daily basis. The struggle to know that my heart belongs to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To know that what's on the inside is pleasing him more than what others may see on the outside. You see, we all struggle with this, don't we? It's a a day-to-day struggle for us when we find ourselves in a place that, that we are more concerned about what is on the outside. It's a common story. We think we know what God is doing, but the reality is, is we only know in part. Let me say it this way. We think we know what needs to happen, but God knows more, much more. At the beginning of David's story, God confounds human wisdom of, of Samuel, his dad Jesse, his brothers and probably even David, by choosing David to be the king that would follow the first king that God's people had ever had. You see, don't forget this. We think we know what needs to happen. But God knows more. He knows much more. You see, you may think you need that promotion to take care of your family in a better way. And that promotion hasn't happened. God knows more, much more. We pray and we pray for healing in the lives of our loved ones. And when it doesn't come in our timing, we have to remind ourselves that God knows more. He knows much more. We, we have those relationships that are broken, right? And we have prayed for the restoration of those relationships, and it hasn't happened. Maybe you've stepped across the aisle to someone, whether it's a family member or a friend, and they haven't stepped back. But here's the deal, God knows more, much more, We think we know what needs to happen in our own minds, in our own conventional wisdom. Humanly speaking, we've determined that what needs to happen is what we all think should happen, but don't forget this, God knows more. He knows much more. In fact, I I, I would would encourage you to look look at Isaiah 55 in verse 8. By all human understanding, David was the least likely prospect. But listen to what God says in Isaiah. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God already has set the scene for us. He's already given us the economy that we have to live in. And it's the economy that he knows more, much more. You see, we don't see things the same way that God sees them, you know why? Because we don't look at the things the same way God looks at them. That's what we see in this story with David's life. We see him responding and and being taken through a story where God has inserted a story where he demonstrates how much more he truly knows about where we are and where we're headed and what he has for us. We don't look at things the same way God looks at them. We can't. You see, the essence of true wisdom is seeing things the way that God sees them. And that only comes from God. True wisdom only comes from God. Everyone involved in this story, the story of David who would become king, the story of David who would be a man after God's own heart, that's a confession made from his God that David was a man after my heart, he said. The only way that happens is that wisdom comes from God and God alone. See, the only way that we connect with the more or the much more that God knows is when we call out to Him to pour out His wisdom into our lives. That wisdom, the true essence of that wisdom is when we see things the way God sees them. God, show us what you want to happen. And then give us the energy and the strength and the perseverance to follow through with that, especially when it's not what we want see, that song that we just sang, it has so much theology wrapped up into it. There are so many deep biblical truths wrapped up in that song. The reality is is that I shall not want because the king is in the room. We're reading a storyline that is gonna be talking about some kings here this fall. But the, the only king is King Jesus. This morning I wanna to talk to us and, and share A little story that I called A Tale of Two Kings, our way or God's way. Let's pick up in this story so we can learn so much more about what we don't know about what a king is, and we can watch how God turns on the spotlight and reveals how He makes a king. Let's pick up in verse 13 in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Read along with me. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. It's really interesting to note in this verse that we wrapped up with with last week, in this verse that we wrapped up with, the presence of God came powerfully on David in that moment. I would underline that. I would highlight that in any version, in any, any, any medium of Bible, whether you're, whether you're holding a Bible and with pages and you can highlight and you can underline, or whether it's digital and you can do the same, that's what I would under, underline. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David, because we're going to see a, a theme here in the life of David and in the methods and the process of how God makes a king. Verse 14, now the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. So Saul's servants said to him, you see that an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the harp or the lyre. Whenever the evil spirit from God comes on you, the person can play the lyre and you will feel better. Then Saul commanded his servants, find me someone who plays well and bring him to me. And one of the young men answered him and said, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and listen, underline this, and the Lord is with him. I'm going to let that sit there for a second. The Lord is with him. You're going to see this pop up in the life of David multiple times. See, David isn't perfect, but not only is David not perfect, better yet, the Lord is with him. You see, in our imperfections, in our shortfalls, in our, in our mistakes, in our sins, in the things that we venture off of the path that God has for us, we want God to be with us. There's a difference between David and Saul, and we're going to see that in just a second. Verse 19, then Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and wineskin and one young goat and sent them by a son to David, son David to Saul. When David came to Saul and entered his service, Saul loved him very much and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, let David remain in my service for he has found favor with me. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play, and Saul would then be relieved, feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Father, in this moment, God, I pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word. May you send and speak the messages to our hearts that we need to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we dig into this passage, it's important to see how we got here. How did we get to this place where one king was rejected and another king was anointed and chosen? A better question might be, why do we even have a king in this story at this point at all? Well, look at back in, in chapter eight of 1 Samuel. There's, there's a couple of verses there that gives us the, the summary of kind of why we are sitting and looking at this story at this point in this moment. In 1 Samuel chapter eight, 19 and 20, the Bible records this, the people refused to listen to Samuel. No. And Scripture actually puts an exclamation point on there. The people were crying out and emphatic, no. We must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. Listen to this, beloved. How many times in our own life do we know that Jesus is in the room, that the king is here, but we say no. No. We want to be like someone else. We want the benefits of what comes with what someone else is experiencing. No, I, I, I want that car. No, I, I need this kind of family. No, we've got to move in this kind of neighborhood. No, we've got to see a breakthrough in this area. Doesn't God know? No, I, and if he's not gonna do it, we need to find another way to get there. That's what God's people said in 1 Samuel chapter eight. They said no. I don't know if you caught that in verse 20. The people themselves describe what they thought they need. They need someone who will judge, someone who will lead, and someone who will fight. Does that not sound like God who had already chosen them? He was already a God that had fought for them. In fact, God's people demanded a king so they could be like other nations who had kings. But in 1 Samuel chapter 10, we read these words. Samuel said to the Israelites, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you." Israel, out of Egypt, I rescued you from the power of the Egyptians and all of the kings that were oppressed and oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your troubles and afflictions. We think we know. I know I do. I think I know what needs to happen. But God knows more. He knows much more. The people already had a king with a capital K. God was already there for them, but they wanted to be like everyone else. Wow. Those could be the famous last words of a life that loses the power and presence of God. I want to be like everyone else. But God had chosen his people, and he's chosen you. If you have a personal relationship with him, if you are a son or a daughter of the king, you're chosen not to be like everybody else. You're chosen to be distinct. You're chosen to be a people that follows God even when what is happening doesn't make sense. This is the daily struggle of every human being. To follow God when it doesn't make sense. When your kids don't respond to your leadership when you have family members that reject you, when you have struggles financially or physically and you know there's got to be a way for us to fix this. Beloved, don't miss this. God gives us everything we need for life and faith, both in his word and the provision for his people. He takes care of our needs every single day. He said he'll never leave us or forsake us, and he never departs from us. But what we miss so many times is we, we, we like to put that into our mix of who we are that describes us, but then we don't let it carry out to the daily life, to every single step that we take. You know what we find ourselves? We find ourselves wanting. Because when we step out and think we need what others have and, and what I think I need instead of what God has for us, we are always left wanting. We're left lacking were left disappointed. God had chosen his people not to be like everyone else. God's way, though, was not their way. And it's not to this very day. And God's way was not Saul's way. That's what we saw in the the decline of Saul. That's what led us up to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16 is the introduction of what happens when God says, we're done with this king, I have rejected him as king, and now we're going to anoint a new king. That's what happens when you try to do things our way instead of God's way. I love what Ogilvy says, God's divine presence had been given to guide and empower Saul as the king. And now that God had rejected Saul, his spirit was removed and Saul remained king for the rest of his life. But he no longer knew the power and the presence of God in his life, nor did he receive words from God through the prophet. It's really interesting to see what happens in Saul's life before we even get to David's, David's beginning days after he has been anointed king. What's very interesting about this is that there is a, there's a response to Saul's refusal to do things God's way. Pastor Jonathan covered it last week. He talked about how Saul had been commanded to go and to totally destroy the Amalekites And he didn't. He made excuses because he thought he knew what should happen. See, Saul wasn't very intimate with the truth that God knows more, much more. He thought he could insert and help God, right? Do we ever do that? We think we can help God? We think we can try to figure it out for God and maybe orchestrate how someone could then hear from God in a way that maybe they haven't? I think we find ourselves in those positions all too often. But what happened when Saul started to do that, God's presence then was, was pulled from him. He lost the presence of God. You see, if we're interested in our hearts being for God, it requires the presence of God. You don't get one without the other. When God's presence is with us, our hearts are with him. When our hearts are with God, his presence is with us. And that's what we see in Saul's life. Once he began to do things his own way, his heart no longer was even towards God and God's presence was removed from him. And so he lost the power as king. Oh, he kept the seat. He kept the position for his whole life. And then right before that, in verse 14, we see that God's spirit took control of David. From that day forward, Scripture tells us. Beloved, understand this. God's presence is the constant in all situations. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about, is God in this place? Where is God in this story? Whether you're struggling to make a decision, whether you're you're struggling to find provision, whether you're struggling to call out for someone's healing, God is the, the, the only factor that matters. His presence must be In the story. Everything we do has to involve God's presence. Without God's presence, we don't have God's power. Saul's life was an example of doing things our way, but this morning I asked the question, what if we did things God's way? What if we started to do things God's way and we thought about what it means for God to make a king, to prepare a king? What if we saw a king prepared God's way? What if instead of us trying to figure out all the conventional wisdom of the day and what it takes to elect, to identify, to find the right leaders, to find the right solution to the situation, what if we started doing things God's way? And in this passage, in 1 Samuel 16, Starting in these verses 14, now all the way down through 23, we see God lay out key biblical truths for us to understand that apply to this story, but that also lay out a pathway for us to see God prepare us His way in every situation. Number one, we allow God to map it out. You allow God to map it out for us. Let Him map the way. Verses 14 through 17, we we see this part of the story where David had been anointed as king. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone is anointed king, what's the first thing that should happen? In our world today, this just happened. It's happening right now. One monarch has passed after like 3,000 years on the throne. (laughs) Sorry, it feels like she'd been on the throne for that long. And now someone else is stepping up to the throne. And I promise you, when they introduce and they officially announce Charles as king, it won't look anything like 1 Samuel chapter 16. Nothing, because we map our own way. We know the way it's supposed to go and it should come with great celebration and and singing people's praises. Of course, if you've heard some of the news stories or seen some of the videos, there's always people in the background yelling additional content uh, in their opinions and, and lob, lobbying their opinions about the new king. And by the way, when you do things God's way, you'll still have those people doing the same things. But we have to allow God to map the way. Shouldn't the king take his rightful place on the throne? I mean, that's what we would think, right? Someone now is the new king and they're going to step into, they should take their rightful place on the throne. How many times in our own lives do we see a transition happening and we determine what should happen? I should get this privilege. I should be given this space in the office. I should be afforded the opportunity to go take my family on any vacation I want to. God, we have been faithful and so what happens in this story is then we should, we should get, we should be allowed and we stop and we, 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 we need to recalibrate and allow God to map out the way. You see, that would be our way, but it wasn't God's way. Our way would be, take David, celebrate him, get him on the throne. (coughs) Put the robe on him. But God had his roadmap for David, and it started with serving the reigning king who was being tormented by an evil spirit. Now, I don't know about you, when I read that passage, my eyes perk up. Because it says that the spirit of God left him, and then God sent an evil spirit to torment or haunt or trouble. There's various phrases that are used in different English Bible translations. Some say it was a harmful spirit, some translations. But it was not a spirit that was after God's heart. It was a troubling, harmful, evil spirit that God had sent in, in Saul's life. Maybe you look back and you say, wait a minute, does God actually do that? The answer is yes. Under God's sovereignty, He does. What do we know about this evil spirit? We know that it was under God's sovereignty because Scripture tells us it was sent by God. It was sent by God to trouble Him, to torment Him. It never says it was sent by God to control and overtake and possess Him says it was sent by God to trouble him. All throughout Scripture, there are are evidences of how God demonstrates his lordship and his complete authority over every part of our existence, including those evil spirits. I mean, you know the story. Job was very similar. Satan himself comes and has a conversation with God, and and God says, "You, you can test him. He is my faithful servant. You can test him. And God outlined what Job was allowed to experience at the hands of evil. God uses those things to test, also to strengthen, also to be a testimony of his sovereignty. But it was also an evil spirit that was sent as judgment. Beloved, don't miss this one. When you determine in your life that you are going to do things your way, which Saul had done, Saul had determined multiple times that I am going to do things my way. No, God, I'm going to save some of the Amalekites, and I'm going to, I'm going to claim that it's, it's for your glory, but it's really for my benefit. No, God, I, I'm, I'm going to honor you, and I'm, I'm going to go worship and offer sacrifices when it's not my job to do that. Saul was confronted multiple times. Samuel said this to him, is it better for you to offer sacrifice than to obey God? Can you see the irony in this whole narrative that we're walking through right now? God's people decided they wanted things their way, so they they petitioned the prophet Samuel and said, give us a king so we can be like everyone else. And do you know what, what God then asked and commanded Samuel to do? In between I think chapter 8 and chapter 10 that we read earlier he said go ahead and tell the people cuz Samuel was livid he was hot he was ready just to throw down the judgment right then and there God said no we're going to give them a king but before you do you go tell them everything that will be required of them if they have a king you see that that king's going to take their land that king's going to take their children That that king's going to take their sons and send them to war. That king is going to add to their burden for them to have a king. Remember what Jesus said. All, All you that come to me, I'll share your burden. I'll yoke up with you, Jesus said. My burden is light see, a real king, the king after God's own heart, doesn't harass and harness the people with extra burdens. And what we see here in this pathway of Saul, we see him reject God's way. And when he rejected God's way and decided, no, this is my pathway, this is my way, and this is how I will see it happen, I am rejecting him as king, God said. And he sent this evil spirit. It was a result of Saul's sin of disobedience and rebellion. It followed the departure of the Spirit of the Lord. And we also see that it was temporary, for we see in this passage that every time the Spirit would come, David would play his music and the Spirit would leave, so it was temporary. Although Saul would struggle with this most of his life, it eventually would depart him. But Saul's struggle was how God moved David into the palace. See, that's point number one. Allow God to map the way. See, David's pathway to the palace wasn't through some coronation celebration, it was through serving a troubled king who had rejected the God, who had disobeyed. That's how, that's how David gets to the palace. Number two is that we need to rely on God's presence. Look at verse 18, and verse 18 is so clear. One of the young men answered, "'I have seen the son of Jesse in Bethlehem "'who knows how to play the lyre. "'He is also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. Rely on God's presence. That's how we see God prepare a king, when the king relies on his presence. The Lord is with him. By the way, I would underline that in your Bible. It's gonna show up in this story as we go through this series more than once. David had all the job qualifications Saul needed. Isn't it interesting that Saul thought he knew what he needed? Are you seeing the theme here? He thought he knew what he needed. But God knew more. He knew much more. Saul thought he just needed someone to help him with this troubling spirit, this haunting spirit. But what his own servants saw was something more that Saul couldn't even see. No, Saul, there's, there, there's somebody who can help, who can step in, who can serve this struggle. But it's also someone who has something deep down that, that, that really brings the solution to this situation. Saul never asked his servants to find someone who had the Lord with him. Saul's servants could see something that Saul couldn't see, someone who was relying on God's presence. But then also, we see in verses 19 through 22, God makes a king and prepares a king his way by having them serve in obscurity. I don't know if you've ever been in obscurity. Maybe you live there, maybe you, see, you, you, you live every day and there's something about where you are, you feel like no one ever notices what you do, no one ever gives credit for what is going on. Beloved, listen, God calls us to serve in every walk of life and most of the time we don't get credit by, from people around us. That is not the heart of a king, that's not the heart of a child of God, that's the heart of a Saul who decides to do things his way, not his way. You see, we are called to serve in obscurity. It's all throughout Scripture. It's what Jesus even brought to us. As we serve in obscurity, we see how David's anointing uh, as king was was a now but not yet. He had to wait for God's timing. In fact, we see right off, right off the bat, when Saul calls for Saul, uh, when he calls for David to come to his, 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 his king, his throne, his, his palace to serve him, he calls, the, uh, sends a message to Jesse and says, go send for your son who is tending the sheep. Isn't that what he was doing when God anointed him as king? After he's anointed king, the first thing he is doing is he's back tending the sheep. He had been sent back to being a shepherd. I love this statement that says, a pure heart and a shepherding attitude come from the pasture, not the palace. That's a wake-up call. You see, kings are prepared in the pasture lands, not in the palace. Psalm seventy-eight, seventy-two tells this testimony of King David that he shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with skillful hands. David would then spend the next 15 years in obscurity, most of that that we'll learn running for his life from Saul, who loved David in this passage. But listen, I don't want you to take this away and, 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 and see this from this perspective. Don't take this away and think David's story is teaching us to hang on until we get on the throne because that's not what this story is about. King Jesus is already on the throne. Our goal is not to wait out till we get on the throne. Our goal is to come with submission and serve in obscurity as a love offering of worship to King Jesus. Service is the pathway to favor with our King. David had been promoted to armor-bearer, and at the end of this passage in verse 22, he had been promoted from just playing music in that that situation, which was a a lower place in the the throne, in the kingdom, and now he's promoted to armor-bearer, but yet he didn't hesitate when the king was troubled to immediately pick up the instrument and serve the needs of that king. This is how God prepares a king. It's not like the way we prepare kings. It's because number four, status is the enemy of service. If you're pursuing status, you're not pursuing service. And to serve is how we most accurately reflect the heart of our God. To give, to sacrifice, to lay ourselves down and lift him up. Proverbs 22:1 1 is a verse that I've I think I memorized this verse when I was six years old. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. What a powerful statement that favor is better than silver and gold. The story that Jesus gives that relates is from Luke 22, and, and you may be familiar with this story. The disciples are walking around and he hears them talking, and as he hears them talking, he says, why are you arguing among yourselves? And they're arguing about who is the greatest. And here's what Jesus says. He says in verse 26 of Luke 22, it is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. Listen to verse 27. For whoever is greater, the one at the table, who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Is it the one at the table? And listen to what Jesus says. But I am among you as one who serves. That's the model Jesus gave us. David knew that there was only one true king. David knew that he was not the one true king. David knew that he had been anointed and given the presence of God. He was not the one true king. What David declared and understood from where He understood where all authority and sovereignty comes from. He gave that testimony in Psalm 2210. He said, I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. He also penned the words in Psalm 95, verses one through three. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let's enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let's shout triumphantly to him in song. Why? for the lord is a great god a great king above all gods beloved we can't do this our way we have to do it his way where in your life are you needing to let go of your way and just submit to his way see if david david's life teaches us anything it teaches us and declares that god will accomplish his plan despite us like he did with Saul, he moved on. And then he put his presence on David, scripture says, that would be on him for the rest of his days. What do you need to let go of this morning? What are the areas of your life that you need to say, God, not, not my way anymore. I've tried my way, but I can't try my way anymore. Here's the reality. In God's plan, he has a place for us. We're often scared and fearful that if it's his plan, we will miss out on something. But God knows more. Much more. In just a minute, we're going to stand. We're going to sing and close out our time. And It is my prayer, it's been my prayer for the last 10 days, that we would understand more than a narrative story of the life of David, but that we would come even closer to the one and only King, that our hearts would be fully His, and that we would begin to live our lives with this truth that God knows more, much more. His ways, our ways, they're not the same. Beloved, when we walk in the powerful presence of God, our King, it confounds the human conventional wisdom of every person on this planet and probably every person in your life, especially if they're on this planet. So in this moment, I'm just asking you, what are those areas that God has taken his flashlight of truth and shined on in your life, and says you need to let go, and you need to fall into doing things my way. Allow him to map the way. Rely on his presence. Serve in obscurity, and and resist the status that is a killer to service. Let's all stand together, Father. In this moment, we come into your presence. We know that you are here. And we know that where you are, your power abides in full measure. Father, as we seek to know you better and to be more faithfully yours, may our hearts be completely open. Maybe we'd be willing to just walk away from our way even this morning. And may you have your way in our lives. In this moment, if you don't know him, Maybe that's where you start. Maybe you need to come and you need to give your heart to Him. And begin that journey to see Him shape you His way. Let's all sing.
1: Oh, you make mountains move, you make giants fall, you use songs of praise to shake praise. Bye.
0: I pray that this morning you will find a place today to go back and maybe even look at that story. See how God is calling to us and wanting to do something so much more for us. By the way, don't confuse the more with our definition of more. Because he knows more, he knows so much more. Our ways are not his ways and our thoughts aren't his thoughts. Church family, we love you and we want his more for you. And I pray that his more will spill over into someone else's life today as you go about your day. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday.
1: Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, Well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.